starting at the 12th verse, and that's on page 1203, 1203 of your Pew Bibles. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And the second reading is taken from Mark, uh, chapter 4, beginning at the first verse, and that's on page 1005, 1005, the parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, Hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. Let's, uh, let's begin with a prayer, shall we? Lord, your word is full of uh, solemn uh, reminders not to fall away and to keep running the race. And in our best moments, we absolutely want to keep running with you. But we also know our hearts 
And so we ask that you would teach us this evening from your word and that by your Holy Spirit you'd help us to live lives that are faithful to you. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Just before we get going, we had a, about a half a second slide, which we almost missed, but it's very important, about next Sunday evening. Could we just have it back, Sylvia? The Sunday evening after church supper next Sunday. Very, very important. These are favorites of the uh, evening congregation. <clears throat> there we are. All these other things very important. That one. We had it for about 0.37 of a second. And uh, that, so next Sunday evening, uh, do stay, uh, do plan to be here. It'll be delicious, as always, and a great time to catch up with one another. So thanks for that. Now, um, as Lucy was saying, the title of the sermon this evening is How to Fall Away as a Christian. And the phrase to fall away comes from that Mark chapter 4 reading we've just had, page 1006, if you want to follow it, where in verse 16... Jesus says, others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I think very few Christians deliberately choose to fall away or throw in the towel just like that, out of the blue. There's usually been some slow drift, gradual slippage. In the same way, very few people wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to get myself false, false teeth. I'm going to go to the dentist and get all my teeth pulled out and get myself a lovely, shiny pair of dentures. The road to dentures is preceded by a failure to brush the teeth Years of a sugary diet and endless sweets, a failure to floss as the dental hygienist is always exhorting us to do, and a failure even to visit the dentist. Fillings then follow, then extractions, and then finally, the end of the road is the dentures. Very few cars just fail their MOT just like that. The failed MOT comes from failing to look after your car properly, not checking the oil, not having a regular service, not keeping up with the repairs, economizing on things like tires and brakes. Very few Christians deliberately choose to fall away. We read things like the parable of the sower and we pray, please God, I want to be like the seed in good soil. I don't want to wither and die. And we read injunctions like the one in our first reading from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, which says, See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And we think, I don't want to be like that either. And yet the reality is that many Christians do fall away. And Jesus warns of this here in the parable of the sower. Or in Matthew chapter 24, just a few, verse, a few pages back, Jesus says, at the time of the great persecution, many will turn away from the faith and the love of most will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So if you're a note taker, Matthew 24, verses 9 to 13. 
And St. Paul challenges the Galatian Christians in these words, you were running well, who hindered you? And the letter to the Hebrews is full of challenges to the Christian to persevere, not to give up, to keep running the Christian race, looking to Jesus. I've been thinking about falling away quite a bit this last couple of weeks, but the sort of flip side is about perseverance and keeping going. And the more you look around the New Testament, you realize it's a, it's a massive theme. And the warning not to fall away is a, is a frequently rehearsed warning by the New Testament writers. And just as a car goes to the garage once a year for its 35-point checklist, or we might go to the doctor for a physical checkup from time to time, or we go to our dentist for a regular checkup, so it's good for the, the Christian to have a, a spiritual health check from time to time. Not, uh, not every week. I think too much navel-gazing doesn't really help us. But from time to time, just ask ourselves, am I still running well? Is anything hindering me? Are all the things that will help me to keep going as a Christian in place? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, our first reading, talked about being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And it is so easy to deceive ourselves, to kid ourselves that everything's going, going well. Or to say, well, I've been going as a Christian for some time. I've got Christian family, Christian friends. I've been well taught. I kind of rock up to church a bit, quite a lot. And to think, well, I'm safe. There's no danger of me falling away. Another verse which says, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. So this evening, I've got a spiritual health checklist. You'll be glad to know there are not 35 points. But there are a few warning signs that perhaps ought to set our alarm bells ringing and cause us to take action. Now, there's nothing very new or radical here. Indeed, several of these points are taken actually from a talk that I heard my first ever vicar give uh, in Oxford many, many years ago. But uh, helpful things, and as, as is often the case, um, preaching is not necessarily teaching you new things. It's teaching us, reminding us of old things. So our first warning sign, first uh, way in which we might fall away, is an impoverished devotional life. An impoverished devotional life. It's very easy to give quite a good impression to, to other people, to go to meetings, to, to come to church, to pray out loud even, maybe quote scripture. But like the seed sown in, on the rocky ground, not really to develop roots or any great depth. The Bible is variously described as milk and meat and honey and food but if we fail to eat we starve or another analogy is that of the relationship christian life is all about our relationship with our heavenly father we read the bible and god speaks to us we pray we speak to god but if there's no communication there if we've given up 
meeting with God regularly, having a regular devotional life, then the relationship is, is going to fade, isn't it? I was telling the, the Alpha group the other night about my address book. I still have an address book. I've had it for about 35 years, and uh, it makes for slightly sort of um, funny reading, really, because there are an awful lot of names in there that go right back to student days, old friends. And I was going through it, just sort of checking, checking some names, and thinking, yeah, I haven't seen them for 10 years. I haven't been in touch with them for 20 years. I'm not sure I've actually seen him since I left university. I still call them friends, but there's no communication there. There's no contact. Are they friends? Well, sort of. There's nothing real there. And I think there's a, there's a real danger for the Christian that we have the spiritual address book, as it were. We can tick various boxes, but we actually fail to use the book. We fail to make contact with our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father, who longs to speak with us, who longs to hear us. Now, the great news is that if, like me, you've, um, you've, got, uh, some, you've lost contact, as it were, we can always get back in touch. And if the reading of the Bible and our prayer life has slipped... The wonderful thing is, just start again, tonight, tomorrow morning. If you want help with Bible reading notes or some system to get into Bible reading, chat with me over coffee or chat with a Christian friend. Say, what do you do? Or your prayer life, if, if there's any prayer life, if it's just got stuck, it's formulaic, ritualistic, you want help, ask for help. I'm sure there'll be someone who'd love to pray with you. There's always people here at the end of the service who'd love to pray with you. Maybe ask them about their prayer life. It's great to have some sort of structure. There's even an app called Prayer Mate. How many people use Prayer Mate? Yeah, a few people, there you are. Hold your hands up high. If you want to know about Prayer Mate, talk to the people with their hands up. Now, it's not the purpose of this sermon to induce a massive guilt trip. And clearly there are some times where we're really busy. We're on a work trip or we have small kids or we have an extremely full schedule and we live on, as it were, spiritual iron filings. But it is a good question to ask ourselves that when we have the opportunity, do I turn to the Bible or to the newspaper? Do I spend time in prayer or do I watch the television? Or if I added up the amount of time in the week I spent reading stuff online, reading the newspaper, watching the TV, how does that compare with the amount of time I spend talking to God, listening to God? For the seed to flourish and bear fruit, we need to get those roots down deep. The second warning sign, perhaps the danger signal of falling away, is of little real repentance. As a new Christian at the age of 15, I was very conscious of my sin. 
and my repentance as I became a Christian was real and genuine. I was amazed at God's forgiveness. I wondered at his mercy that he could still accept me. Every day, sorry, every Sunday when we said the confession, I was reminded of my sin and I was also reminded of God's amazing grace. Every Sunday we would sing of God's love. And every Sunday it was all true. It was all very true for me. That wonderful relationship with our Heavenly Father that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a danger that as life goes on, as the Christian life goes on, that that message of grace and forgiveness and God's mercy becomes so familiar that we start taking it for granted. I start treating my sin lightly because I know that God will forgive me anyway. And Jesus is my friend. He's my mate. And I start treating him casually. I remember once seeing a film about a prostitute who used to go to confession every Friday. She'd go and make her confession, and then she'd go back to work. And the priest would try to explain repentance to her. If you're serious, you'll stop it. If you mean it, you'll quit. And I guess there's a little bit of that in all of us. That we say we're sorry, we know God's grace, but we don't really live it. And there's a danger of living what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor, called cheap grace. He defined it like this. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And this is where a healthy devotional life can so help because a, a regular systematic reading of the Bible and praying reminds me not just of God's love and grace, but as I read the Bible in a systematic way, I'm reminded that God is holy, he's awesome, that he's the judge. Or as I read Hebrews chapter 3, our first reading, it reminds me of the danger of a sinful, unbelieving heart that can deceive me. Two weeks ago here, we were looking at uh, Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 with its clear challenge, you have lost your first love. And so it's clear call to repent. So that's the second warning sign, little real repentance or relying on cheap grace. Third warning sign, flimsy church commitment. Now, the New Testament knows nothing of solitary Christianity. The assumption is in the Bible is that all Christians belong to the church. If you think of the pictures, the word pictures of the, of the church in the New Testament, they're all collective groups, like the body, many parts, one body. 
the building, each member representing a, a different stone. Or the family, brothers and sisters in the Christian family. Or the army, soldiers fighting together. We're not meant to fight on our own. We're not meant to survive on our own. We can't survive on our own. And yet very often people find for one reason or another that they don't really commit to church. All sorts of different reasons. Busy on a Sunday night. I've got a really demanding job. I need to get ready for for Monday. Or other attractions. Or I have family or friends who live out of London and to get back for six o'clock means I have to catch an early train back. And my life is so full anyway, it's nice to spend time with family and friends. Or I've moved from the church where I was a student to London and I miss that church. So I've popped back to it. Or I've tried a church here and it's not quite the same. And I'm so busy, I only see people on church on Sundays. And in the past, I used to see people all the time. I come to church and then I'm away the next week and then my friend is not there when I come and they were away the week I, and so on and it, we never catch up. And then the grass is greener. I've heard this lovely church down the road. Have you been to the church down the road? That's great. People say that's the place to be. And there's so much choice in London. We try elsewhere and we never really get settled in a church. Now, obviously, there are a host of good reasons why people can't be in church on a Sunday. They have holidays, rightly so. They're off on work trips, rightly so. You can't avoid them. We have family commitments, and we have, we're right to fulfill those commitments. But we need to be honest with ourselves as well and perhaps be tough on ourselves and ask that question, is the church family my number one priority? On a Sunday. Imagine receiving a, an invitation to a state banquet at Buckingham Palace on a Sunday evening and sending a letter with these kind of excuses. Thank you very much, but I'm very tired. Um, I've got a work trip tomorrow morning. Uh, I've been away for the weekend. I can't be bothered to get back in time. Well, we wouldn't do that, would we? Well, not if you're a sort of half a royalist, even. <laughs> Some people might go walking in Scotland, but you know what I'm saying. The King of Kings wants to speak with us. He wants to meet with us, and he wants to meet with us as his family, as his church. The Christian life is tough. Jesus talks about the, the seed on rocky ground and they have no root and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Trouble and persecution will come our way in one form or another and we need help and encouragement to keep going. London life is tough. Work life is tough. Perhaps we suffer from loneliness or various life issues and it's just a struggle we need each other. I think it's one of the, the, the lovely things about this church. I mean, yesterday, 75 different members of St. Michael's 
all piled in to help with this enormous light party. It's a lovely thing. And one of the sort of fringe benefits of helping to give these kids a great time is that great friendships are formed as we serve alongside one another. This last week, I had a very difficult meeting with the social services about my brother who's ill. And it was great, as I was about to go to this meeting, to be able to ping a, an email to my home group, just asking them to pray. Now, I won't ping an email to my home group if I don't belong to one, <laughs> or if I don't really know them, if I don't trust them with personal information. There's got to be a close relationship to be able to really open up with one another. Back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, encourage one another daily. We need to encourage one another. That's one of the reasons why we come to church. Sure, to, uh, to be taught, to sing God's praises, but we need to encourage each other. I hope over coffee and tea that we, we linger a bit and encourage each other because the Christian life is tough. Trouble and persecution will come because of the word. I hope that your home group is your number one priority on a Tuesday evening. And that if you move out of London, that you'll choose your church before you choose where you live. Because you'll find that you might miss St. Michael's and you go somewhere and you think, well, there isn't a church like St. Michael's around here. And there may not be, but choose your church, resolve to stick with it, and then find somewhere to live. Encourage one another daily, says the writer to the Hebrews. Third danger sign was flimsy church commitment. Fourth danger sign is distracting relationships. Now, we need to get a healthy balance here because Jesus himself was criticized for being a wine-bibber and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And there's nothing wrong with having friends in every arena of life. In fact, as we look ahead to Christmas and we think about inviting friends to carol services, or we look ahead to our events week next uh, March, we want to have friends to invite to these events. And we won't much, be much good if we only ever live within the Christian ghetto. Equally, the Christian should be a thermostat and not a thermometer. In other words, we should set the temperature. We shouldn't go up and down according to, to our friends. We should set the temperature. What I will do and what I won't do with my friends. How much I'll drink when I go out with my friends. Where I'll go, where I won't go. And many Christians who start out with great intentions slowly and insidiously let things slip. It's rather like boiling a frog. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but if you pop a frog into boiling water, it'll quickly leap out. It doesn't like it. But if you have a frog in cool water and then put it over very, very slow heat, it'll never jump out. It just gets warmer and slowly cooks. And put a Christian in hot water, and of course they'll leap out. Christians slowly cook themselves by very often distracting relationships in one way or another. 
And this danger is clearly linked to that previous danger of church, lack of church involvement. We need to have a really good church root so that we have a healthy relationships outside the church as well. Perhaps especially true of marriage, who you marry if you're single. I'm so grateful to my dad who gave me this piece of advice. He said, Tim, marry a girl who loves Jesus more than she loves you. Just pass that on to you. Marry someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. It's great advice. You want a life partner who is going to help you in your walk with Jesus and not distract you. Jesus prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17 that they should be in the world but not of the world. That is, of course, we all have to live in the world but not be kind of enticed by the world and distracted away from God. It's especially true in all, it's true in all our relationships that we should be good at getting alongside people but not letting them drag us down. And my fifth and final danger sign is idolatry. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. So it could be a job, family, a pastime, a hobby, a sport, a relationship, a career, a musical instrument, travel, holidays. All these things are great things. Paul says to Timothy that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with any of those things unless they take the place of God in our lives. Unless they become more important than our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless they distract us from our one true love. That, I think, is why an accountability group or an accountability buddy is such a valuable thing. Maybe a small group of, que- Chris, sorry, a small group of friends who ask us the awkward questions. Someone was telling me the other day that they belong to an accountability group where they say to each other on a regular basis, you have full permission to ask me the questions that I most don't want to be asked. Have you got that? <laughs> you have full permission to ask me the questions that I most don't want you to ask. So please ask me questions about my devotional life, about my Christian service, about my relationships, about my motivations, about my work, whatever it is. Because often our close friends can see idolatry in us much better than we can see it ourselves. Our close friends can see our slipping away much more clearly than we can see it ourselves. And our close friends can help us to stand firm. And if they love us, they'll point that out to us. That's why an accountability group needs to be small and close and meet regularly. I recommend that to you.
So five warning signals, five danger signs, an impoverished devotional life, little real repentance, flimsy church commitment, distracting relationships, and idolatry. I'd just like to conclude with three little exhortations from Hebrews chapter 3. Maybe you'd like to, to turn to it. It's on page 1203, 1203. This was our first reading. First exhortation is examine ourselves. Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We're to examine ourselves, to check our hearts, and to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves. Because it's possible for a Christian, well, a Christian, we know we have sinful hearts, but it's possible for a Christian to have a heart that turns away from the living God. It's hard to believe, perhaps, but we've seen it in others, and there's all danger for us all. So examine ourselves. Secondly, encourage one another daily, verse 13. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So let's encourage one another daily. You've got your close friends here. Encourage them by text, by email, by phone, meet up. We're not just meant to look after ourselves, as it were. We're meant to look after one another too. Let's help each other on the Christian journey. And then thirdly, hold on firmly till the end. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Do you know that Christian chorus? I don't know, we sing it, Timo. It goes like this. Verse 1 goes, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Go on, go on, go on. Then verse 2 goes, go on, go on, go on, go on. Okay, you got the idea. I don't think we sing it, do we? No, no. (laughs) But the point is, Again and again, we're reminded in Scripture to keep right on. Keep going. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. And we went through Hebrews a few months ago, and we're just reminded week after week of this call to persevere. Because we'll be tempted to give up, and our sinful hearts will tempt us to drift. The world will tell us there are more interesting attractions. Trouble and persecution will come because of the word. Finally, if all this sounds rather grim and tough, and frankly a sermon that just tells you to go on is not particularly encouraging, remember that you're not alone. And we're not just a church either. Remember that we've got Jesus helping us by his spirit. I'm just going to finish by reading from the last verse of the letter to Jude. 
to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through our Lord Jesus Christ before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.